coming up on the Dr. John Deloney Show. And so I went on a journey and after many breakdowns in my life in friendships, intimate relationship, business relationships, kind of all started breaking down around the same time about 10 years ago. Mm. And I realized, oh, I'm the jerk. That's the common <laughs> denominator of all these things. Good morning, good evening, good night. I don't know what time it is that you're listening to this show, but this is the Dr. John Deloney Show, and I'm John, and I'm glad that you're with us. I hope you're doing well, and I hope your family's well, and I hope, despite the chaos in the world, you're finding little pockets of peace. Um, today, we have a very special show. I'm super hyped for you to be a part of it. Um, I was honored and blessed to have the great Lewis Howes, the, the host of one of the largest podcasts on planet earth. And um, he's got a new book out and he came into the studios to hang out and we talked for way too long and we went all over the place. And most importantly, um, we get to talk about his new book, The Greatness Mindset, Unlock the Power of Your Mind and Live Your Best Life Today. And just to give you uh, some insight into how what, what kind of human Lewis is, on the, on the flight over, he was in the airport checking in um, his flight. He was coming from Austin to Nashville. And he saw my book in Own Your Past, Change Your Future in the airport. He bought it with his own money. I would have given him as many as he wanted, but he bought it. And on the plane right over, he read it. And you'll hear in the interview, he keeps directing the attention away from his book to mine. Not because my book is better. You can read his book and you will find out that is not the case. But that's the kind of guy he is. He's discovered through on his show, he interviews high performers of all types. And when you talk to him, he's like, yeah, I was talking to Kobe Bryant once and I was talking to such and such poet laureate once and I was talking to the great Gabor Mate a couple of times. He has had the opportunity to sit kneecap to kneecap with some of the most brilliant minds in the world. And what he's found that his superpower is, Lewis's superpower is, is shining the light on others, is letting others be seen. And that's just who he is. And so this was an important conversation because he, man, I told him at, off air, let's get weird. And he goes, hold my beer, dude. If you want to get weird, I, 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 I'll call. And um, we talk about everything, everything you can imagine. And here's what's, what's really important. He discusses so much of it in this book. And in this, I, I just can't tell you, I can't recommend this book enough. Please go pick it up and check it out. Um, he takes the wisdom that he has learned from some of the most important minds of our time and some of the most important minds of ancient history and some of the most important thinkers about things that are going to happen in the future. And he puts it all right here and says, hey, here's some things you can be doing right now to live a better life and how to heal from the past. And we, we, we have a lot of overlap. If you're into this show, you're into Own Your Past, Change Your Future, this book is the, a, an incredible next step for you. So sit back and enjoy my conversation with the great and powerful Lewis Howes. <laughs> See you, man. Thanks for having me, brother. I appreciate you, dude. Congrats on everything. You're making Congrats a big difference you. in the world, man. I appreciate that. You make a humongous difference in the world. I was just telling off off air, this is like uh, uh, a high school kid getting to play catch with Peyton Manning, like the best interviewer on the planet. And uh, I'm like an old academic nerd that's just like suddenly uh, not in a... I like the academic nerds not though because they have dark office anymore. They have the science, the research, the the case studies that you can actually start and the applying egos, in the, the real life. Yeah, and the, <laughs> so and the need to be right at all times. Always, it's my way. We'll, we'll defend it to the death. Yeah, no. Uh, tell me about the tell me about the journey to get this book out, man. Well, for me, it was more about a journey of discovering myself 
And I just felt like I needed to get this out there because it's been 10 years I've been doing my show, School right. of Greatness. And it started with a need, a need of I've accomplished success mm -hmm. in sports and in business, but I still don't feel happy and fulfilled and enough. So how do I figure out this enoughness thing, this worthiness thing, this deservingness thing of what I'm accomplishing and also how to navigate intimacy and relationships along the way and how to feel worthy mm. of the worth. And so I went on a journey and after many breakdowns in my life in friendships, intimate relationship, business relationships, kind of all started breaking down around the same time about 10 years ago. Mm. And I realized, oh, I'm the jerk. That's the common <laughs> denominator of all these things. How'd you get there? Man, I got him fighting a basketball court. Okay. Like a little fist fight. Uh -huh. And it was one of my lower moments where I remember after this fight thinking, the guy was fine, I was fine, everything, but it was like a no-stakes basketball game. Like, do you play basketball at all? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. pick a basketball. I'm incredible like, to this. I'm not that great. Yeah, but, but like, just but yeah, for sure. pick a basketball yeah, with a yeah. bunch of friends. Just having fun, yeah. And uh, I would get so emotionally triggered when someone would do something that felt like, that oh, was a little unfair. Little elbow, little... Smash talk that was like not clean. It was yeah. like kind of a little below the belt. <laughs> You're describing I, exactly was how like, I play. There was like a button in my heart that would be like, bing, trigger. I want to defend and react and, and guard myself against anyone trying to attack me okay. in life. Yeah, yeah. So I looked at the the world as like, it's me and then everyone else is out there trying to get me. Okay. That was how I reacted in my environments. And uh, after this fight, like everything else was breaking down and that was kind of the final straw. It was like, okay, I actually physically got into a fight. Something's off with me. Mm. Like why? And I didn't need to defend myself. Right. You know, I was just playing fun on the mean streets of Beverly Hills. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, yeah, yeah. It's like playing a pickup basketball game in Franklin and Nashville, right? right? It's like there's nothing that could go wrong. So if I pull that thread all the way, where, where, where did that story begin that – you defend yourself at all costs or this thing falls Five apart. Five years old. One of my first memories, my third memory mm -hmm. is being sexually abused by a man that I didn't know okay. in the bathroom. Okay. And that was just the start, right? Okay. So that, my brother being in prison for four and a half years when I was eight. Okay. And visiting the prison almost every weekend for mm -hmm. four and a half years and just the shame and insecurity and mm -hmm. the, the, the just the pain that that yep. caused the family and the uncertainty that that caused. Right. Parents really never learning how to model love with each other. They loved us kids, but didn't feel emotionally safe at home, right? right? And then um, just never feeling good enough in school, you know, always in the bottom four of my class mm -hmm. and the insecurity of being in the special needs classes and just struggling. So I used that anger, mm -hmm. that energy, that, that wound mm -hmm. energy and drove it towards athletics. Gotcha. Found like, I read in your book, which is mm -hmm. a fascinating book. Yeah, thanks. You were similar to me, this gangly kid in school, which mm -hmm. you wrote about. I was like the tall, I was 6'4 when I was like 11, yeah. right? So, but I was like 105 pounds. <laughs> I've so been like, this big since seventh grade. Yeah, you know, yeah, you're yeah, just yeah, kind of yeah. like big yeah. ears and big uh -huh. teeth and you're just like this odd kid. Yeah. And, um, but if you're, but if you can play. Eventually I could play. Eventually I started. If you can play. play. And so I, I started to get some validation there and I was like, well, let me go all in on this thing because I have no other skill, no other gifts, no other talents in school. Okay. But in sports, I'm like, getting somewhere and I drove it to say I'm going to be the best athlete I can be where I'm going to be undeniably needed on every sports team okay be a star on every sports team and that energy drove me to be a great athlete where I was a uh, mm -hmm. all sport in two uh 
two sports um, all state. Then I was two sport all American in college football decathlon. Then played arena football, professional football. Then played with Team USA uh, handball with yeah. the Olympic team. Then transferred that into business after that was done. And just kept growing and growing and growing. But every milestone I accomplished, I still didn't feel loved. So as you were saying that my time spent with people behind closed doors, you're high achievers. You do yours, you introduce in front of closed doors. Mine's been with stuff's in ash, right? When you just said growing and growing, the, the words going through my head was running and running, right? Chasing and chasing. There you go. Chasing huh. greatness as opposed to letting greatness chase me. As opposed to letting it come to me, drawing it to me by being intentional and in alignment with harmony and peace. Mm. So I had never addressed the wounds until 10 years ago. Yeah. And then it's been a 10-year journey That's of right. healing That's and right. unwinding. It's not a destination that is, oh, I'm healed now. It's right. an ongoing journey. Yeah. But 10 years ago was the moment after this fist fight, I went home in the mirror and kind of washed the blood off my knuckles and was like shaking, looking at myself in the mirror. And I, was, I just didn't recognize who I was. Mm. And I was like literally staring. One of these literal moments, yeah. I was like, who are you? Yeah, who is that dude? Who are you? Staring in the mirror at myself. And I just didn't recognize myself. I realized there was so much anger inside of me, resentment, mm. fear, insecurity. I was really in a, a scared little boy in an adult body. And that's and, a dangerous person. And dangerous, man. Yeah. And I was like, man, I have a lot to lose here. Like, mm. what if actually something happened like really bad in this fight? What mm. if, I don't know, I hurt myself, I hurt him, someone mm. came out and stabbed me, who knows? Right. I go to jail, whatever happens. Mm. And that was a wake-up call. And even bigger, which was one of the greatest blessings my friend gave me, a friend of mine that I was playing with that, that day, he said, Lewis, I don't like your behavior and I don't want to play basketball with you anymore. If you're gonna mm. keep acting like this, like he was kind of saying, I don't want to be your friend anymore. Mm if you can't figure out what's going on within you. I love you and accept you, but I don't want to get hurt because of your actions and behaviors. Right, right, right. And that was a big wake-up call. Mm -hmm. That's when I was finally say, okay, the world isn't out to get me. Mm -hmm. It's not everyone else's problem. It's my responsibility mm -hmm. to look within and see why am I so triggered and reactive in life? Now, I had love, mm -hmm. joy, it matter. fun. I was like a yeah. fun guy. Yeah. But man, you doesn't poke matter. me. Yeah. Poke a little bit. I was like, Rah. you know, yeah. it's like there was this guard, this sort of protection, these masks that I would wear mm. to fit in, to belong, to be accepted, to be seen. But it's so hard to belong and fit into others if you don't belong to yourself. That's right. If you don't own who you are and accept your past. Like, mm. This is why when you're, when I read this book, I was like, own your past. Mm. I was running away from my past. Mm. I was like, let alone run away. I was just trying to like get that's the a cultural story out of my mind. If I can yeah. get this car and this money and this whatever, this, yeah. this, 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 then the girl, everything, right? It, it all works. The yeah. accolades, all this stuff. If I can mask with a false sense of confidence, then I'll be okay. But I was never okay. And it's funny. Have you, have you, uh, you know, doc, uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer? Have you ever heard of Wayne mm -hmm. Dyer? He passed away a number of years ago, but he was a, a, a big uh, speaker and personal development coach. And he used to have this analogy that said, um, you know, when you have an orange and you squeeze an orange, what comes out of an orange is orange juice. Mm -hmm. It's juice. It's orange juice because that's what's inside of an orange. When you squeeze a human being, when you apply oh, wow. pressure to a human, huh. what comes out of a human is what's inside. Wow. And if we have pain, unresolved trauma, as you know and talk about yeah, this constantly, when that is squeezed and there's pressure applied to it, Anger, resentment, defensiveness comes out because that's what's inside of us. Mm. But when we learn the strategies that you teach in your book and what I studied in my book, yeah. 
you start to mend and heal and create new meaning from those past memories, then what's inside of you is something that's more peaceful and in harmony to your highest self, not your hurt self. That's right. When your body understands we weren't okay then, but we're okay now. That the adult in you has got now. has got the younger you. Yeah. So you talked about let's go somewhere weird. Yeah. You said I like to go weird places. Yeah, yeah. Two years ago, I started on the journey of of healing to the next level. Different okay. wounds. Ten years ago, it was the sexual abuse, mm-hmm. and kind of healing that psychological, emotional mm-hmm. memory and wound. Yeah. Because for twenty five years, I didn't tell a soul this mm-hmm. happened to me. And the things we conceal mm-hmm. has power over us. There's actually uh, in the I just I just pulled it out, but there was a chapter and, and it's something new I'm working on called the biology of secrets. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe our bodies are designed like up until just a few years ago. We all lived in one room house like this, right? And everybody knew everything. Everyone knew secrets, yeah. And this idea that I can go in a room and shut the door and put podcast like and just have this internal world that's new to our species, yeah. right? And so yeah, you like uh, was it is it it's Dr. Brown? Brene Brown says. Shame eats secrets for breakfast, right? That whole, mm, yeah. when you hold on to when it. When we conceal those past pains, those things have power over us. Yeah, so right. for 25 years, I was powerless to this shame, this mm-hmm. insecurity, this fear, this doubt, this thing that um, I was afraid that if anyone knew this about me, no one would accept me and love me. That's right. Because I didn't accept me and love That's me. That's right. And so for me, it became a process of going back two years ago to every memory that caused any pain. Mm. And the emotional coach that I was working with had me put a photo of my five-year-old self from that Mm -hmm. time on my screensaver. I don't have it anymore, but I had it for about six months. Mm. Every time, you know, 50, 100 times a day, I'm looking at my five-year-old self. Now let's talk about weird. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I know this is where you like to go. This is the nerdy (laughs) stuff that you like to dive into. I did this and I didn't just have a photo of myself and say, okay, it's nice to look at myself. I practiced every week Mm -hmm. with a coach, a, a guide to navigate all the different areas of those emotional memories mm-hmm. that caused me pain. And I started to create a healing energy with my current self, the adult self in the room now, with that child. So what I did, I did some weird stuff, weird exercises. I'm and I'm, and I'm all about the physical exercises needed mm-hmm. to release trauma and to mend and create meaning. That's right. So one of the things I did, she said, I want you to go home and I want you to pray and meditate for a period of time and get yourself in a calm meditative state. And then I want you to imagine and, and call forth the five-year-old version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Close your eyes and see him coming up to you. And just notice him. Mm-hmm. Notice his energy. Notice his awkwardness. Notice his insecurities, his fears, his doubts. Notice how he's clenching himself. Notice all the things about him that you're, you're seeing that you felt 35 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I want you to have a conversation with him from the person you are today of what he needed to hear back then. And so I was imagining this, again, I'm going there. I don't know mm-hmm. if this is what your audience is into, but I was like going there and having this conversation with my five-year-old self. And I was like, I'm so proud of you. You're so courageous. What you're experiencing is not what people are supposed to experience, mm-hmm. but it's all gonna be okay. And I've got you now. I've got mm-hmm. us now. And I did this conversation, this kind of process with myself while literally visualizing my you know, little self mm-hmm right in front of me. And then again, I'm going a little weird here. I, after I had this full conversation, I said, how do you feel? Mm-hmm. What's going on? What do you need? And I just kept saying, is there anything else? Mm-hmm. Kind of like a therapist would say, is there anything mm-hmm. else? Like, what else do you need? Just tell me everything. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm so proud of you. 
because you're able to take us to where we are now. You mm-hmm. overcame it. You endured it. But holding on to that doesn't serve us anymore. So I brought my little self mm-hmm. spiritually, metaphorically mm-hmm. into my heart mm-hmm. and just gave him a big hug mm. and embraced him. And then I just kept practicing kind of this this new story and belief and meaning around looking at this you know little boy that was me and is me and just said, man, I'm proud of you. And I created a new relationship with those years of uncertainty and fear. And I started doing that from a five-year-old self to mm-hmm. 12-year-old self to 17-year-old self until I brought it all the way to now. Mm-hmm. So all the different painful things from our past, again, own your past. Mm-hmm. You can't own a part of your past and look over other parts. Mm-hmm. All of your past, yeah, if you want That's freedom, right. yep. if you want peace, you know this better than anyone. And all the research that I've done from all these great neuroscientists, mm-hmm. therapists, spiritual leaders, uh, uh, mental health experts, they all talk about healing all parts of your past right. if you want freedom. Yes. And I had healed certain parts when I 10 years ago, but not every part. So what I got was, some freedom, but I was still having like What was that pains. like? Because I've seen grown men. Uh, so yes, we have like a, we have a, a great gang that follows me all, all down those rabbit holes. I love. So it's not too weird. Um, no, 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 no. Me ask it this way. I've seen grown men get catatonic during those moments or weep in a way that the, the most common phrase I hear is if I, if I start crying, I'm never going to stop. Yeah, man. It's scary How sometimes. Was it? Or maybe it was a peaceful moment. Not everybody. Let me tell uh, you, st- let me go take you back to the moment when I actually told someone for the first time. Okay. It was terrifying to, to realize. To that say I, the words out loud. It was terrifying. Yes. I thought I was going to die. Okay emotionally yeah. obviously physically it feels like you're physically like mm-hmm. um because you think or let me speak for myself i thought if anyone knows this about me they will never accept me and love me again and mm-hmm. i'll be alone forever and die alone that's kind of like how far the ra- it goes mm-hmm. and so after this fight happened i was like okay let me take a look in the mirror mm-hmm. and see what can i learn now as a cocky 30 year old who mm-hmm. thought he knew everything already in life because i was successful in sports because i got results in business mm-hmm. i was like what can you guys tell me teach me mm-hmm. you know like i've gotten results you haven't got results don't tell me what i need to change it was this very defensive look at the scoreboard ego right? yeah, ego yeah. attitude yeah. that doesn't serve me right um I started to say, okay, I'm going to start asking questions to people. I'm going to start looking for a coach, therapist. I'm going to start finding spiritual leaders. I'm going to go workshops, whatever people recommend me. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask for feedback and I'm going to go do it. Okay. And I went to this one emotional intelligence leadership workshop. And it was like two weekends back to back, like four days each weekend. And in the second week I did it, there it, it got pretty intense. It was pretty intense of like going into your past doing exercises with like individuals, small groups, like playing games, exercises to reenact situations in life and then reflect and journal on what these things taught you and how you reacted in the kind of the workshop safe setting. That's a hot room, dude. Hot room, right? (laughs) That's a hot room, man. There is, so after like the halfway mark of the second weekend, we had did a lot of intense stuff, like talk about mom and dad and Mm. past pains and wounds and and all these different things, like just going there, screaming, catharsis, all this stuff, journaling, reflecting, people are crying, sharing. And the trainer says, okay, we have addressed the past and we are creating a vision of the future that we want to create. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to start working towards our future. And we're not going to think about the past. We're, we're going to focus on a vision and a mission 
and how you want to show up in the world as your authentic self okay. and creating your identity that is healthy and all these things. But in order to do that, we must make sure we've gone through everything in the past. We must essentially own our past. So if anyone has anything left to say that you haven't said yet, it's kind of like now is your moment or forever yeah, hold dude. your peace. And I'm going through my head. We're all sitting there in kind of like a half circle um, with like an open space at the front. And I am, uh, I'm sitting there, I'm kind of like, it's silent for like a minute. I'm like, okay, I talked about, you know, my parents getting divorced and struggling there. I talked about being picked on and being bullied and, you know, being picked last in sports teams in elementary school, which drove me. I talked about like breakups from girlfriends that hurt me and like the sadness I felt, all that stuff. And I was like, why have I never told anyone this one thing that comes up in my mind almost every day? Mm-hmm. And I just thought to myself, I was in a, a state of like vulnerability. People were opening. Safety, I was in a huh? safe environment yeah. after a couple weekends where I was like, okay. It just came to me. I was like, if I don't share this now, I may keep this to my grave. Yeah. I may never say this. Mm. Like it's either now or never. Mm-hmm. And whatever reason, I just like got up out of my chair. I walked to the front of the room. And I remember I put my face down. It was like a carpet. And everyone was in like a half semicircle around sitting. And I remember I couldn't look up in anyone's eyes. I had so much shame, so much shame. So I looked down the whole time and I just took a deep breath and I walked through the entire story of being five and being sexually abused by the babysitter's son for the first time, this like adult son. Mm -hmm. And I told the whole story and I was able to get through it like pretty calm. I think because I didn't look up at anyone. Mm -hmm. And then I like walk back to my seat. I sit down. I like sit up and look up. There's a woman, uh, two women sitting on either side of me in the chairs. They're weeping. Mm-hmm. They both clinched me and hugged me. And for whatever reason, I was one of those guys that just started like releasing 25 yeah. years of pain, mm-hmm. sadness, anger, resentment, and just started bawling. Yeah. Bawling, yeah. weeping. Yeah. And the weeping and the crying made me feel shameful. Mm-hmm. And I felt shameful thinking like, oh my gosh, this is, my life is over. Mm-hmm. I literally, after a few moments, run out of the room. Mm-hmm. We're in the middle of a workshop. I run out of the room. It's in like a conference ballroom in a hotel. I run outside of the hotel into like the back alley. There's a wall. Mm-hmm. I put my head on my hand uh, and just kind of lean against the wall. And I'm just weeping, mm-hmm. crying. I'm just like, I can't breathe. Mm-hmm. A few minutes go by and I'm just thinking, I'm not going back in there. I'm done. This is like my life's over. Mm-hmm. It feels like you're yeah. dying. Yep. This grieving process. Mm-hmm. I feel a tap on my shoulder a few minutes later. This guy turns me around. He looks me dead in my eyes. He's probably like 55, 60 years old. He looks at me. He goes, you're my hero. Mm. You're my hero. I was 11 when this happened to me. I've got a wife and three kids. They don't know. I've been suffering for however many years, married with this. I didn't think I'd ever tell anyone. You gave me permission to tell my wife. I get chills thinking about this because, and then- a bunch of other men came out and a couple, it was only a couple of the guys that experienced some type of sexual abuse, mm-hmm. but it was like so many men had something else that they were holding on to. Mm-hmm. They weren't sexual abuse, but it's like, I feel shame around this. I feel shame around this. And I've never told anyone. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, what? I thought, first off, I was the only one in the world who had been sexually abused. And so I thought I was something wrong with, was wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And the more I started to study and research it, one in six men had been sexually abused, mm-hmm. right? It's one in four with women. And I still don't believe that one in six number. I think it's more. It might be. That's me. Yeah. That's like, like men that are willing to talk mm-hmm. about it, right? And um, 
but this was in this was 10 years ago when I opened up about it. Mm-hmm. I had never seen whether I wasn't willing to acknowledge it when I saw it. I don't remember seeing anyone talk about it on TV like men. I don't remember athletes mm-hmm. opening up or singers or mm-hmm. you know role models being mm-hmm. like, "Oh, this is what happened to me." Business leaders. No one talked about these things mm-hmm. back then. And we're starting to see men now open up more. Mm-hmm. Athletes are starting to open up. People are talking about these things. But um, I just thought my life was over. But that was the moment my life began. That's right. That was the moment where it unlocked the ability to start feeling freedom. I didn't feel free yet, mm-hmm. but it opened the door for peace to come in. And that was the start of a what has been now a 10-year learning, trying, mistakes, growing, <laughs> falling back two steps, mm-hmm. moving forward. Getting in alignment, you know, healing, trying mm-hmm. lots of different modalities from, again, workshops to, I'm talking medita- deep meditation retreats mm-hmm. in India mm-hmm. to neuroscience meditation retreats with Dr. Joe Dispenza mm-hmm. to, um, you know, extreme breathing and cold therapy with Wim Hof mm-hmm. in Iceland, mm-hmm. climbing mountains half naked in the snow, being pelted <laughs> by, uh, by snow and doing breath, breath work and, and meditation and mindfulness and cold therapy. Mm-hmm. Like from emotional coaches to spiritual coaches and trying everything. Yeah. And I don't think there's one thing that is the end all be all. I think it's like do whatever you can do right. to create and be peace and free inside of you. Mm. So it's been a journey, man. But that was kind of when it started to open up. That's awesome. Thanks for your bravery on sharing that. Of course. Um, as you mentioned, the number of people who are listening to this, the men who will hear it and say, maybe mm-hmm. I can say it out loud mm-hmm. and maybe the women listening to this can say it out loud or they can turn and look to the person they're dating or married to and yeah. say, is there any stories you've, you know what I mean? It, yeah. it, it, it just needs somebody to go first. And, right? I, and, and I'm not saying you need to say it publicly and I'm not saying you need to say it to your partner right away. Right. I think create an environment where you can say it to a trusted advisor, That's right. a counselor, a therapist, mm-hmm. a priest, a spiritual leader, someone you truly trust first to allow you to start processing it. Do not process it alone. I just think that's the hardest thing to do and near impossible. It's, it's impossible. The, the great David Kessler says, grief demands a witness. And I, I, I love that line. Just like the, it only works if I'm with, that's why every, every great religion over time has confession built into it. You got to sit with somebody else and say, this happened, I know, right? Man. And we've kind of taken that out, right? And I just think when we conceal past shame and pains it makes us more powerless right? as opposed to stepping into a greatness mindset. Mm-hmm. And that's just one of the elements. So it's first like recognizing where are the areas of my life that I am allowing powerlessness to rule me as opposed to peace and greatness to inspire me. So how do you do that when the, the cultural winds are so opposite that? <sighs> Man, we always blowing gotta- the, They're blowing the, the, uh, the wrong way there. Yeah, man. I mean, I don't know about you, but I grew up in the 80s mm-hmm. in Ohio and uh, playing sports. You couldn't show any emotion. No. On no, the field, no. off the field, there was no room. An ounce of emotion was like, okay, we're going to name call you. We're going to pick on mm-hmm. you. We're going to like call you a little wussy oh, or whatever. Maybe, we're going to yeah. like haze you for months. And so it was always a mask. It was always rub the dirt on it. Like, don't show your emotional. Don't show you cried. Don't show anything. So it wasn't unlearning Mm -hmm. of a model that I experienced that served me to get certain results, Mm -hmm. but didn't create freedom inside of me. And so it was, but it's both end, right? Like you got to feel it 
an experience and event. then go do it go do yeah. go do the next right thing you which gotta is, do the next right th that's the integration right that's hard you know it's that's a, asking someone to live the paradox right as a, a doctor and a mental health coach yeah. you know that integration is how you really heal it's the awareness right. of okay okay i'm awakening to this idea that wow i i've struggled this whole time in this or i've been afraid to do this thing a lot of times we're unconscious of it it's just happening but okay now i'm conscious of this i'm aware now I've got to process this thing. I've got to allow myself to re to release it in some way. You know, that can be physical, emotional, spiritually, like connecting with someone, however you want to release it. Um, and then allowing yourself to integrate the nervous system healing when the response happens again. I don't know if you've ever been triggered in life where someone like yeah. poked something in you and you're like, <laughs> you're reactive, right? Yeah, exactly. Or you felt like, oh, that didn't feel good. Uh -huh. I don't think the goal is to never like not feel a range of emotions, but when our emotions are running our decisions and we're reactive mm -hmm. based on a wound, right. it just means it's pulling our energy away from service. Right. It's pulling our energy away from love and connection and generosity. That's right. I and call it the peace. gap. If, yeah. if if I can just lengthen that gap between, I just feel this and whatever I'm about to do next. It's between I'm about spin, to say it, feel it, whatever. Yeah. yeah if the, I can just stretch that gap a little that's bit. it man yeah, yeah. yeah so it's uh my my intention is how do i keep learning and integrating how to make sure my nervous system is safe with me mm. no matter what happens around me one of the most common questions i get on my show is how do you get something off your chest maybe it's a deep secret that you've never told anyone or maybe it's something that happened to you or maybe it's something you've done and you're deeply ashamed about it you're worried because you know bringing this to light is going to cause disruption in every part of your life. All of us, every single one of us, have things both big and small that we need to get off our chest from time to time. And I say this always, secrets will kill you. But it's often so hard to know where to start or even how to say these things. Therapy is a safe and effective place to get things off your chest, to learn how to say scary and hard things out loud and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I have personally been blessed to have a great therapist who I can talk to and who helps me get these heavy things off my chest and figure out what to do next. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's convenient, flexible, and suited for your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time, and it doesn't cost any extra money. Listen, it's time to get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Deloney today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Deloney. At what point does, okay, so you're somebody I've watched from afar, and I've actually had this thought over and over. Does that guy go home every day and be like, well, I got to do this one now? Like, because you, you, you on your show you're talking to high achiever after high achiever after high achiever after high achiever. And as soon as I meet a high achiever, I'm always like, well, I'm going to try that too. Right. I want to try that too. And I, I, I have thought without ever knowing you, that's got to be exhausting. Like every ride home has to be like, well, I guess I need to move everything to crypto. And the next one, you're like, well, I guess I need to move everything back into cash. And like, I need to try this workout, this workout, this workout. Here's the question I'm beginning to ask myself. Very similar. I haven't been to, to, uh, to India, uh, India or Iceland, but yeah, yeah. but have, have followed very similar trajectory. Yes. 
You just go to the university and study like a, you yeah, know, like a the research. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I sit in my cold tub, which is a uh, like a like a, a trough. Your science I bought, room and just a, a trough I bought at a tractor supply for hundred bucks. <laughs> um, at what point are we running? Still, we've just found a new thing to chase. I don't think it's running. I think it's um, or pursuit of. Yeah, I think it's trying things on and seeing what works for us. Okay, it's. I'm always because I struggle with that because I'm always going. With this idea of I got to get somewhere yeah. to the next level or the next layer, whatever words you want to use. And I'm starting to step back and look at some of the great thinkers that I still read now. And they almost had a de-evolution process, mm -hmm. right? It almost went the other way. Well, I don't think there's fulfillment without growth. Okay. I think we've got to be growing in some way. That could okay. be learning. That could be reading. That could be... Um, you know, trying new skills. It could be playing games and, okay. and like doing stuff. We've got to be growing in some way, I think, in order to feel fulfillment and feel like, okay, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm not being complacent. Okay. And I'm not saying you have to always be striving for the next thing, but I think growth and contribution are a huge part of fulfillment. When mm. I'm learning, when I'm growing and developing as a human, and I'm also contributing to someone else's life, there's a lot more fulfillment in that process as opposed to I've stopped growing. I'm not growing at all. I'm just going to stay where I'm at and not learn anything new, mm -hmm. not try anything new, and I'm just going to do exact same things. That's the thing that haunts me is there a moment when growth becomes cancer, right? Where it won't when stop multiplying. When it's obsessive growth, yeah. Yeah. When it's obsessive growth. So but when if it's I tied to, what is it? It's tied to contribution. contributions. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's contribution service. For me, it's all about service. But And so when I'm doing interviews and I'm learning new things mm -hmm. a lot of it's just confirming that i'm doing the right things okay that i'm on the path that like okay you're just saying something in a different way that i'm already doing good i think for someone like me and others we need constant reminders to stay on track of doing the right things no you no. know it's like a lot of us a lot i of got us, it man. right a lot of us know <laughs> what to eat and mm -hmm. that's going to make you healthy they know how to work out right they know they need to move the body and eat well and sleep eight hours a, a night and get good rest but for whatever reason, we don't follow through on it consistently right. as a society based on results. Mm -hmm. So it's just about having the consistent lessons, the inspiration, mm -hmm. the the wisdom heard in a different way to keep me on track of like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the path. I'm being consistent. I'm being disciplined on the path that I'm taking. And then it's like, oh, let me try this different style of breathing technique. Mm -hmm. Maybe that can help me in a stressful moment. Okay, I'm going to try this mm. box breathing technique. That's a 60-second thing. And try it on. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. People can say a lot of different things to try these things. And maybe there's like, okay, I haven't tried this thing yet. Or mm -hmm. I just forgot that I'm not, I haven't done this in a while and I need to get back there to this go, thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that almost makes it equal, as important as the info, the relationship. 100%. Like the interaction. 100%, man. And that's what you talked about in your book, the story of relationships, I think it was it's that a, chapter. Connection. which yeah, was, yeah, Or yeah. connection. Yeah. Which is about like you have friends, you have like people you text, but they're not your close friends anymore. Right. You have yeah, people yeah. that were like friends in and middle school and high school, but then yeah, you pull yeah. and then it, like, an in-person interaction became a phone call, became a text between, became a, hey, I'll get back to you later. Yeah. And um, it's about the interactions we have with the people in our lives and how we're making an impact and being in service to those people mm to them being empowered and winning as well. And that's the difference between success and greatness. Success, success is selfish. It's, yeah. it's all about me. Let me accomplish this. Let mm -hmm. me achieve this goal. Let me win. Let me look good. Let me be a bestseller. There's nothing wrong or bad with the success, but mm -hmm. success by itself without the impact and service to others in that pursuit 
will leave us feeling unfulfilled. Yeah. 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 So greatness is more about going after your dreams with your unique gifts and talents in the season of life you're in, but empowering those around you. And the great Kobe Bryant said this when I interviewed him. He was like, greatness is about essentially being an inspiration to the people around you and inspire them to be great. Mm. And then when they are great, they're going to inspire others to be great. Mm. And it's about that ripple, that impact of service through your talent, through your gift, through your creativity and whatever Mm. that is. And, and I realized that most of my life was being successful for me to feel good, but I was leaving out duct tape over the wallpaper over that. Yeah. It was a win lose mentality. Yep. And nobody mm. wins unless everyone wins. Right, right. And I didn't understand that concept until 30, until yeah. I had breakdown after breakdown after breakdown. And I learned for the first time the concept of win-win at 30. Mm. As an athlete growing up, there was only one winner and mm-hmm. everyone else was a loser. And that meant when I lost, it didn't feel good. Yeah. And I did everything to win. Things that, that like, I just drove myself crazy like for to, win, mm. to win. And then I still didn't feel enough. Mm. And that's when I started shifting. 10 years ago, I created a show called The School of Greatness that wasn't about me. Mm-hmm. It was about others. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm going to go on a journey and humble myself. And I'm going to interview all the experts and shine the light on others mm-hmm. and just ask questions and humble myself. And it's been a decade of consistently doing that. And that the picture there that you're painting is, is beautiful when it comes to greatness because I'm hearing in this one conversation, very few people can say, when I was talking to Kobe that one time, (laughs) but there's greatness on the basketball court and there's greatness, his legendary greatness in the gym, right? Like behind closed doors and nobody's watching. And then there's greatness of a young man rocking back and forth and putting his head down and walking up to front of a small group and saying this happened to me. Yeah. Right. And it's that it's everywhere in between. Right. And the, the men who went home and talked to their families for the Mm -hmm. first time or talked, called the counselor for the first time. Right. Greatness, the spectrum is so powerful, yeah. right? That ripple effects. And it doesn't matter the 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 magnitude of what you, you want to do yeah. in life. It's not, greatness is not about curing cancer or winning a world championship. Mm-hmm. It's about pursuing your unique gifts and talents. Mm-hmm. And in that pursuit, making a difference on the people around you in a positive way. It's not about even accomplishing the pursuit. Although, yes, we want to accomplish our goals and things like that. Mm-hmm. But just because the dreams don't come true sometimes doesn't mean your life and the experience wasn't a dream come true. Mm. Doesn't mean what you learned in the process wasn't a dream come true. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing, man. So we got to learn to um, interpret it and have a different perspective around what it looks like. And also know that we are all in different seasons of life. And you might be in one season uh, for three months or two years that you don't want to be in, but you're trying to get out of And then it's going to expand to something bigger and greater for the next season. But you needed that challenging season to get to the next stage. And the the challenge is to hang on, hang on, because the next stage is coming, right? All right, so I'm going to get to your book here. Um, Phenomenal. Thank you. Phenomenal. Um, And we were talking off air. It makes me feel happy because I'm super, I'm super insecure. And the fact that you've got to meet all these great people that I just revere through their work, man. And you did such a great job. This is just a masterpiece. It's awesome. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to tell you some things that as I went through this, yeah. you have a story where you broke your wrist when you were on the verge of, you're playing arena football league. Yep. And you're with dreams of aspirations of going to NFL. Yep. And you broke your wrist. Yep. Ended up being a more serious break. Mm-hmm. 
And while you're at home, like any athlete who's been laid up, there's that little bit of doubt and a little bit of, I could, I'll, I'll be back. And then that little bit of like people yeah. like, hey, are you still playing? Yeah, and you're yeah. like, no, man, I'm, I'm hurt, but I'm cut. Like there's all that, right? And if <laughs> yeah. you're an athlete, you get that world. Then your dad mm-hmm. gets in a, yeah, a, a life-altering car wreck. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Big brain injury. Yeah. Here's where my head went. So I've spent most of my career showing up to that situation, either to tell Lewis, hey, this just happened mm-hmm. or with the family, right? Yeah. So when I'm reading this part in your book, here's, here's with a hook into my heart. Tell me about being a son, a strong, powerful, mm. you're pro football player, yeah. right? Right. Which puts you in the top 1% of the top 1%. And there's this moment we all have when our dads are suddenly powerless. Yeah. Take me back there as this, you can't go overseas. So he was on a, on yep. vacation. He was in New Zealand, and, and he, I had just broken three ribs the next day in a football game. Okay. So I couldn't travel for. Can't a few travel. Years. Yeah. And then he comes back, yep. and there's that shape shifting moment where I can do all things. I can lift. I can do the two twenty five bench work. Uh-huh. I can do all that. I can't fix that. No, nah, man, it was devastating. Take me back there. It was sad, man. I remember him coming off the plane. We were at the airport waiting for him to come back. And he's kind of like being helped to walk. He can't fully really walk by himself, but he's kind of hobbling off of like the airport coming towards the exit. And I give him a hug and it was the moment I was like, oh man, he's a completely different person. Like, like mentally, emotionally, yeah. well, like mentally, emotionally, psychologically, personality wise, he's different. And I was like, okay, well, he's got to come back. You know, he's going to get better. And I remember just year after year, it was a struggle, man. He didn't, he he got a little bit better, but his personality almost completely changed. Hmm. Not because he wanted it to, but the brain trauma was so intense right. that it just messed up the chemicals in his brain. That's and right, he just, yeah. so it was very challenging. Every time I'd go and see him, we'd say, what's your name? Oh, man. Uh, oh, that's right, Lewis. Yeah. Um, you used to play sports, right? What, what sport did you play again? Hmm. Where did you go to school? And here's a man who went to almost every one of my games, right. who was on the field taking photos, was like championing me, like celebrating me all mm-hmm. the time in athletics. He was there. He mm-hmm. showed up. For him to not even know that I used to play sports and have to constantly, for 17 years, he used to be like, where did you go to school again? Mm-hmm. And so I have to show him photos and remind him. He goes, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. You play football, right? And oh, yeah. But it was just... Man, it's just hard when you're used to seeing something with someone you know, your mm-hmm. father, and he's not that anymore. It's like he almost, it's like he died. That's right. Emotionally. But he uh, but physically I, I, was there. I've had someone describe maybe one of the most heart wrenching, heartbreaking conversations I've ever had was someone explaining what it's like when a parent has Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. Yeah, man. Like, it's so hard. And to have your mom look at you and not know your name. It's really she said hard. It's, man. It, it was, it's disorienting. It's really. And yeah, it's it's traumatizing. Yeah, it's it it affected all. We have, I have three siblings, and I'm the youngest of four, so it's it impacted all of us in different ways, and we all mm. experience pain in other in certain ways. And at the same time, it it helped define me into wanting to make an impact and serve people in a mm-hmm. bigger way. So I wish it didn't happen, mm-hmm. but at the same time. I eventually, after about four or five years, accepted it mm-hmm. because it was going to drive me mad because I kept trying to change it, it and force yeah. it. And like, 
what can I do to make this? What doctor can I call? Mm -hmm. Who can I get him on a program? And we just need to teach him more. We need, you know, trying to force something Mm -hmm. and realizing like he's got a different purpose. He can't work. He can't cook. He can't drive. He can't do anything. He sits there and he doesn't want to have a drive anymore. Mm -hmm. He was a big, loving, happy, driven, smart man. Mm -hmm. And the brain just so affected that it's different now different and accepting him where he's at was one of the hardest things <sighs> accepting your father not recognize you accepting him and just loving him with his new purpose uh-huh. for this season and i never was able to really grieve mm-hmm. though because he was still alive yeah he passed a year ago okay i'm sorry to hear that man. thank you yeah, thank you and it was it, it was like the first time i could grieve after 17 years of his first death mm. his emotional and mental death mm. But last year, he physically passed. Mm -hmm. And I finally allowed myself to kind of, I like accepted it before, but it was almost like I could finally have a a different relationship with him Mm -hmm. now where I couldn't have then for 17 Mm -hmm. years. Now I feel like I have a true spiritual relationship with him. And it's... um, it's been part of the healing, grieving process, you yeah. know, is I don't feel like I fully grieved while he was alive, right. even though he was he here. Do, right? yeah. So that was, mm-hmm. uh, he was traumatic, man. Yeah. But, um, you know, we all have different traumas, big T, little T, as you know, mm-hmm. and we all have something to face. Yeah. And that was just the thing that I needed to face. Mm-hmm. And you talked about how, you know, a lot of people run away from their, I can't remember if it's a story of death or a story of something, but it was like running we, have a, we have a culture. We've we running away from it, hiding it, not talking about it, right? right. And I we love outsource your, it all, right? Yeah, I love that. I love that that chapter about that because you know some of the happiest people in the world think about their death multiple times a day. That's right. I think it's the country of Bhutan that mm. that practices it's a little stoic practice five yeah. times a day thinking about their that's death. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they focus. They, I don't think of they're the very stages about of them in the in yeah. the grave. Yeah, but and, they're just yeah. like okay. And there's an app uh, that a friend t- told me about called We Croak, and it's an app that five times a day it tells you you're gonna die. <laughs> and and the whole point of it, and then it has like an inspiring quote. So mm-hmm. make sure you like appreciate what you have right now. So be in gratitude. So kiss the person you love. It's a reminder of like life is now. Hey, what's up, Deloney here. Listen, you and me and everybody else on the planet has felt anxious or burned out or chronically stressed at some point. In my new book, Building a Non-Anxious Life, you'll learn the six daily choices that you can make to get rid of your anxious feelings and be able to better respond to whatever life throws at you so you can build a more peaceful, non-anxious life. Get your copy today at johndeloney.com. And I think when I asked Kobe about his relationship with his father, I said, what do you think made you great? He said, my parents told me they were going to love me whether I scored every point or no points. Mm. And he said one summer in basketball, like when he was 12 or 13, he was in a summer league practicing, playing in a tournament for months. He said he did not score one point. And his dad and his mom were just like, we, love, we still love you. We love you no matter what. We just want you to have fun. And he said it gave him permission to go out and be great. Yeah. And that uh, kind of love anchors you into bedrock so you yeah, can repel yeah. off, right? And you can go do crazy wild stuff. And this goes back to uh, after I opened up about the sexual abuse in this workshop, I remember thinking to myself, okay, these people in this group accepted me because we were all kind of opening up about mm-hmm. different stuff. 
So they, you know, they're strangers, okay? You know, who cares what happens, Safety, but they, yeah. they're yeah. safe. But I was like, I don't think I can tell my family or my friends. I don't think they're going to accept me. I talked to a therapist friend of mine and I was like, hey, this thing just happened. I just talked about this and I'm actually really scared because I don't know if anyone else will accept me. Mm-hmm. How can I even bring this to family and friends? Mm-hmm. And she gave me a great piece of advice. She said, set a time to call them each individually and ask them a question first and see their reaction and then see how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. But ask them, is there anything I could ever say or do that would make you not love me? And based on the response, mm-hmm. if you feel comfortable, then you can share if they receive that. And if they say, yeah, absolutely not. And I did that with each one of my family members. I said, is there anything you could ever say, I could ever say or do to make you not love me? And they're all like, absolutely not. It doesn't matter what you've done. I'm still going to love you. And it gave me permission mm-hmm. to reveal myself. It gave me permission to open up and be honest about my shames and insecurities. And then I thought to myself, okay, well, these are my family. They have to accept me. But my friends, I don't mm-hmm. know if they will. Yep. But it was a practice of going down and because I still felt powerless. If other people knew this about me, they wouldn't accept or love me. And I think that's where it all comes back to. But I, 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 what you did was really important and I hope the listeners hear this. We have a, again, we live in such polarized world, but we either have people who sit on, on secrets forever. Yeah. Or we've got pathological oversharers. Yes. Right? You're like, hey, dude. Spewing vulnerability You grab a a burger. It's like, yeah, and then one time, and you're like, dude. Like, and so. It's context setting. It's time and place. But you did something magic, which is you knocked. It said, can I come in? Yes. And they said, come on in. If they're not ready for it, if they're making a joke or like, eh, what are you going to say? You're crazy? Then maybe don't tell them. Yeah, exactly. Maybe, and maybe they're not not ready for it. Maybe not ready for it. Yeah. Don't spew it on everyone. There you go. Yeah. And, And I'm not saying you need to share with everyone in your life these things but, but, but I, I think, think it's important yeah you got to share it with someone right yes, yes. And, and if not then it means you're unwilling to let people see inside of you mm-hmm. okay why? Is, this, why is this harsh to say it this way um if you're unwilling to let somebody to, to have that conversation in my head and man tell me i'm wrong you can hit me even there's a comes a moment when you're choosing to stay here then to stay stuck or stay yes. in that that, that and, past. Yes, and and it and it pains me to to look at somebody who's experienced abuse, experienced trauma, mm-hmm. experienced marginalization, and say, from this point forward, you're choosing to stay here for a season, and that's okay. You're you're yeah. free to do that. It's just more powerlessness. That's you're just I, you're yeah. powerless. Oh, that thing has power over you still. Yeah, if you're unwilling to reveal something or share something or talk about something because you're so afraid, then you're letting fear run your life yeah. as opposed to healing and peace and acceptance of who you are or what you've been through. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. I am a big believer. I'm, I'm assuming you'll agree with this, that the, the secret to a happy life is relationships. And the secret to happy relationships is vulnerability. That's it. And, and dude, I wish, I wish there could be any other way. Any other way? Yeah, I wish you could just fake it and just in make everything wor- a joke and like, you know, Dude. rub off the past and not talk about it. Just have a long <laughs> text thread of funny memes and yeah. that was it. Which has been your life, it sounds Dude, like. That's, which that's, is your, that's like, everyone's life. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not. There's not. And when I had these conversations with my family members and I opened up, mm-hmm. what do you think happened? They all started to be like, they all shared something about themselves that I didn't know. Mm. And it created a bond, a connection of like, wow, I respect, I trust you, I appreciate you more, like this connection more. I think you could even flip that. We also have a pathological inability to say the good stuff that's going on. 
And we downgrade it, right? Oh, dude. But like, let's say you cross a billion downloads or whatever the threshold is. Yeah. Do you have four or five people you could just pick up the phone and call? And they would Celebrate. go, dude, that's all right. You, know you can tell the good stuff too also. You, want to say, you haven't interviewed a lot of people on your show, right? That I don't, said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just take calls. I've interviewed a lot of some of the most famous people, successful people, billionaires, mm -hmm. you know, world champion athletes, whatever. Um, and there's something interesting that happens almost, I don't know, 90, 95% of the time at the end of every episode. From the beginning, I always acknowledge people at the end from what I see in them. After I interview, interview them for an hour or two, I sit there and I'm like, I want to acknowledge you for this gift that I see in you. Mm -hmm. Number one, most people are, can't receive acknowledgement. They don't, they don't receive praise and celebration or acknowledgement that well. Right. You want to know what most people say at the end when the camera's done and the lights are mm -hmm. off and the mic's shut off? Mm -hmm. They come to me and say, was that good? Oh, was that good enough? Yeah. Was that was that okay? Hmm. And I'm like, you're freaking this person. You're this person. You're like, give me some of your talent. Yeah, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah. what? Was it good? It was incredible. Oh. But it's like, we still feel like we need this. <sighs> Did I say everything the right way? Oh, should I set it this way? Uh -huh. It's like this need to be still accepted and like, am I enough? Am I enough? Okay. Before we leave. Yes. You wrote this and I. It, give it to me. Right. This is the last question said, here's the thing about greatness. Greatness is not about being complete at the start. It's about being enough, even while you're still growing, developing, and changing. And as I read that, here's where the tension comes in. You already are enough when you're in this moment and you're always becoming more. I don't think our culture has a psychological understanding of the word enough. No, because most people are never satisfied. So how do you balance growing and enough? This is the thing with high achievers too. It's like the, because they've never been satisfied, that's what's driven them to get the results uh -huh. they're at. And so they're like, well, I don't want to be satisfied because I'm not going to have this chip on my shoulder. I'm not going to have this drive or this hunger to go for more. And then what? Then I might lose it all. My edge. My yeah. edge, right? Yeah. And here's the thing. You know, the enemy of greatness is lacking a meaningful mission. Hmm. And a meaningful mission is not just about your success for your benefit. It's about your success in the service of others as well. And when we define clearly, this is the difference between a greatness mindset and a powerless mindset. When you define a meaningful mission, which includes others, you have a renewable energy and you don't want to stop and you don't feel like you're burning out. Like I'm on this- When it's in service to somebody else. When it's in service to others. You might have moments of like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I'm in a season of like, you know, four interviews today and traveling on <laughs> no sleep, right. but I'm doing it in the service of others, mm -hmm. not for me to look good. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to need to go back and rest and recover and all these sure. things, but I don't feel burnt out. Mm -hmm. I feel excited every day about what I'm doing because the mission is meaningful to me and it's not about me. It's about including service to other people in the process. Mm -hmm. And so when I measure my worth based on service to others and my generosity of my energy, my attitude, my effort, not on the success or the results, I feel a lot better about me because it doesn't determine how many books I sell or how many downloads I have or how many followers I have. It determines, did I show up today in service to my mission? Mm -hmm. And if I did that, 
I am satisfied with my effort today. I am enough today. Did I accomplish the mission? No. So let me get back up and keep growing and keep mm-hmm. serving. But I'm at peace with who I am and the efforts I have in this moment. Dude, this has been one of the most important conversations of my life. And um, I could show you here on my uh, Garmin that my heart rate's lower. Mm. But um, there's some hard conversations I need to have. And mm. I want to thank you because you were willing to have those hard conversations mm. and come here and help me be a little more peaceful. Mm. That's going to help me be a better dad to my little girl, to mm. my son, and to my wife. Uh, definitely not her dad. She's more like my mom, but I'd right. be a good husband. Um, so I want to thank you for your time. Of course, and man. You don't get this it. hour back in your life, and you shared it with me, and I'm grateful for you. Appreciate Thanks, you, brother. brother. Thanks, man. You, man. Thank Appreciate you. you, bro.